We are Encountering Silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. Today on Encountering Silence, we are honored to have the author of activist theology, Dr. Robin Henderson Espinosa. Born to a Mexican woman and an Anglo man in Northern Mexico, the Republic of Texas, Dr. Robin moved to Chicago for graduate school and completed a master's degree in theological ethics at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary and clinical pastoral education at a trauma to Chicagoland hospital. Following graduate school, Dr. Robin worked in domestic violence and sexual assault fields before joining the office of the Illinois Attorney General. In 2009, Dr. Robin began their doctoral work at the University of Denver Iliff School of Theology, studying constructive philosophical theology and ethics, and completed a graduate certificate in Latinx studies. Now called an activist scholar, Dr. Robin travels the country doing activist theology and continues to write. No matter where Dr. Robin is, they use the tools learned in both acad the academy and activism to stand in the hybrid space of faith communities, academia, and movements for justice, curating activist scholarship with deep intention of bridging with difference. This work is important to Dr. Robin because their own life has been lived with the ongoing challenge to be grounded in the center of their own difference as a non-binary trans mixed race Latinx. This has re required the thoughtful intention of bridging with their white ancestors and Mexican ancestors and with those in the queer community. As a result, their life's vocation is one that is committed to the deep relationality of bridging with difference. In the foreword of the book, Activist Theology, Nancy Elizabeth Bedford writes, this book traces out some of the contours for a way of theological contemplation and action and of theological action and contemplation an activist theology that is deeply aware of the holy, both within and beyond human lives, and that is constantly nurtured by that awareness. Dr. Robin's book has been on all of our radars since we all first became aware of it earlier this year and before its release in October. And I'm so thrilled to have them on the podcast. Dr. Robin, welcome to Encountering Silence. Thanks so much, that's such a generous welcome. Oh, well, we are so thrilled to have you. And we love to begin with kind of just silence in your own life and begin asking how silence has been a part of your life and your spiritual journey. Maybe there's a story from when you were a child or something like that. Yeah. Um, I think silence and doubt both have been companions of mine. And um, I have, you know, I, I would always, always like wonder when people say, God's speaking to me, God's talking to me. And I'm like, really? Because I don't hear a damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that silence is something that has always been a part of my journey and mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to productively engage the silence that I was encountering and embodying is something that I continue 
to, to wrestle with. But I would say silence has played a primary role in my spiritual journey to the extent that I wonder if there even is a God. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a sacred question. Yeah. Yeah. Is silence a part of your, your process in terms of preparation or writing or speaking the, that's that space before that breathing point before the doing? Yeah. Silence, you know, for me, silence is that breath before I open my mouth, before I say something. Silence is the moment that I put down my phone to rest my eyes, to begin thinking the thoughts of what I need to write. Silence is, is a pivot for me because we live in such a noisy world. And so, you know, I keep my phone on, on silent or do not disturb almost exclusively. And, and I still pride myself on being pretty responsive to people uh, when they message me. But I, I think that silence has to play an important role in my life because if we don't quiet the noise in our life, I don't think we can make a productive intervention in our current reality. Mm-hmm. I really uh, appreciate your comment about not even sure if there is a God. I, I like that a lot. I Every time, as I was reading your book, as I was going through, I kept, the, the phrase that kept coming back for me is, uh, or, or the word that keeps coming back for me, is brave. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about your vision that you want to be, I mean, maybe brave and honest, is that you want to look exactly where we are and you don't want the easy answer. You know, you don't right. want the glib, let's cut to the chase and try to summarize this or package this in a very easy box that our culture right. wants to give us. And theology is really quick. You know, I, I studied theology, I teach it. it theology is really quick. We want a quick answer. We say we don't. We, we talk about the mystical. We talk about unknowing. We talk about that space, the apophatic. But very quickly— theologians want to wrap it up in a box mm-hmm. and and we want to jump to God exists and then here's where we go. And right. you wanting to stay in that place, I think that captures for me that honest, brave look is the theme I, I read the thread throughout your entire book. Uh, it, was, is that an accurate assessment or am I reading into that? No, I would say that's an accurate assessment. I mean, thank you. I'm, I'm deeply humbled that, that, that you read me so well. Uh, <laughs> and so I have gratitude for that. Every theologian wants to be read well, mm-hmm. and and so I appreciate the the generous reading. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of feel like activist theology is part of the apophatic tradition, mm. and and in terms of I'm saying what cannot be said. Yeah, and yeah. and I'm asking the questions that cannot be answered. Yeah, and that does take a moral imagination or moral courage, or bravery, as you say. Mm. Um, but I do it from a place of my lived experience. Right. I do it from the place of, this is the thing that I can't not do. Right. Meaning, mm-hmm. I have to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When did you felt like, when did you feel like you knew, I have to do this? Was there in terms of the discernment process and, and knowing it's interesting 
because there's a still a knowing, right? In knowing that one wants to ask something that has answerless questions. Yeah. So how did you, how did you meet that, that knowing? Well, kicking and screaming, I will say. <laughs> it, it, um, I, I, did, I didn't just wake up one day and say, I've arrived. Um, it, it's come by struggle. And um, I feel like my vocation is, my vocation as theologian is one of struggle. And that, that struggle really came alive for me in 2015 when I was sitting on a second story porch in Hot Springs, North Carolina. I'd been invited to speak at the Wild Goose Festival. And I was sitting there with my intellectual compañera, Alba Onofrio, Reverend Alba Onofrio. And, you know, she basically said to me, look, you've gotten all this degrees under your belt, but are you really saying anything? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she mm -hmm. said, you're disconnected from your roots. Mm -hmm. You've got work to do. Then mm. I had just written about 300 pages on the ontology of becoming uh, on bodily materiality. And she says, not only are you disconnected from your roots, but you are still becoming. And guess what, Robin? You're not agnostic. Mm. Mm. And that really is the genesis of this book and the genesis of me doing a sort of deeper dive into theology that is um, questionable that isn't easy answerable, that doesn't give answers in black and white, that actually occupies the gray space or the gray matter, that is the place of becoming, um, that is the place where black and white mold together to become gray. And that has come from, I mean, a lot of therapy. Thank God that I go to therapy every week. Thank God for my therapist. But it, it has come from a, just a lot of struggle and internal work. And I read years ago uh, that Gloria Zadua said, if you change yourself, you change the world. And so I began to really ask the questions that I held in my heart and then figured out a way to articulate those for the book. For example, like my white father employing undocumented workers to work his land and the real struggle I had with that and asking him, is this slavery and receiving a glare? Um, mm -hmm. I, I really felt like we all live with some of these questions and no one is talking about them. No one has articulated them. And so I think my work in the public square is to unveil the truth a little bit more in, in this way of being a theologian. So could you articulate for us activist theology, what is that? You know, so for, for listeners who haven't picked up the book and you see the provocative title, activist theology, yeah. what, what, what is activist theology? I try really hard not to define activist theology because, <laughs> um, because for, for so many of us who, who maybe follow a political tradition or a theological tradition, there are all these camps that mm -hmm. people get put in. There's the womanist camp and mm -hmm. there are different camps in womanism. Black liberation theology, there are different camps in black liberation theology. Queer theology, there are camps in queer theology, queer theory, um, liberation theology. And I, you know, I said, I don't think that's a way, like 
like creating a camp is not a way for collective liberation or for a, or, or a vision for freedom. And I really wanted to cast a vision of freedom and justice. And so I work really hard not to define it. But when pressed, I say something like <laughs> activist theology is translating theory to action. Mm. Activist mm. theology is doing the root work that demands our full attention so that we can live our vocation. Activist theology doesn't care about belief systems or dogma, but it always cares about politics. Activist theology is a movement of becoming theologians. And activist theology is for all of us. It's not just for academia. It's not just for um, those who are trained. It's those who know how to tell a story and know how to make meaning. This conversation on Encountering Silence will continue after a 30-second break of silence. Take a moment and breathe with us. That is kind of where I was going because I was thinking, hmm, activist theology and theological activism. And so, you know, what what do you hear when you turn those words upside down? What what possibilities opens up for you there? Well, I you know I write in the book. I don't believe that there's any theology without activism. And so, theology. An activist theology is more than just a thinking project. And, and if you walk away from the book, that it's just a book and not something to mobilize people for radical social change, then you've missed the whole point. Likewise, theology is not just a thinking project. Theology is about action. Theology is about making thought about God or the divine or the holy come alive in the world. It's about incarnation and considering we're in the season of Advent, it is about coming close to the holy. Um, and so there's no theology without activism and no activism without theology. And, you know, quite frankly, everything is theological. Where I buy my coffee, where I buy my groceries, those are all theological decisions, all choices that I make, right? It's, it's about ethics. All theology is ethics. Everything is about theology. And so, yeah, theological activism, we should all be doing that. And it's not just sitting in a church pew or in a or in a coffee shop or in a bar and it is about getting our hands dirty it is about responding to the needs of the world but there are different ways to get our hands dirty and i guess what what i was wondering was what is the difference between a theological activism and and a non-theological activism we could talk about an atheological activism although i have a feeling that you and i both think that theological activism includes an atheological activism. I think that I would, um, I, because I think everything is theological, I don't think there's anything, uh, like non-theological for me is a, not a category that exists. Okay. Um, okay. Even, okay. even the question of atheism is a theological question. Mm -hmm. And the binary of theism and atheism is, is a false binary. 
for me. Yeah. Um, really, if you want to talk about it, what's an agnostic theology? What's an agnostic activism? That's probably a more truer space of, of a gray space or a becoming space. The question of, I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know how to respond to the needs of, of the world, but I, but I know that if I root myself in community and know my story really well, then collectively we can make an intervention that might solve the problem of climate crisis, that might solve the problem of homelessness, et cetera. I would like to go back to that place of that you were t discussing about, you know, um, the theology is everything. It's in all that we do and even, you know, where we go to get our coffee and things like this, this idea of every act and move of our body and this embodiment is a way of being. And in the book, in your discussion of collective liberation, you discuss justice as an ongoing act of resistance to the norms that create conditions of injustice. Injustice must embody a deep imagination of struggling against the logic of the norm so that the logic of dominance is successfully dismantled. Yeah. And along with this, you also discuss the importance of embodying protest and like it says, not embodying this deep imagination. And I wonder if you could speak a little bit to that, the power of embodiment when it comes to issues of justice and, and now also um, issues of theology. Yeah. Well, the body is important and I don't talk enough about the body in the book. Um, and that's a, that's a, that's a, a, a limit on my part. Um, the next book then. The next book is on bodies and democracy and relationality. So it's oh, great. Yeah, great. It's, it's coming, but, but I, I really, you know, I really wish that my comrade Aaron Law was here to talk about embodiment and theology and activist theology through the lens of somatics, because I am on a journey of embodiment and a journey of really what is the felt experience of my body and what is a theological reflection of that and so one of the limits of the book is that I don't go there as far as I should but thankfully I I did a workshop here with Imaginarium last year and Aaron Law came up to me afterwards and said have you ever thought about the body in your work and I said yes I, I want to incorporate somatics into activist theology, but I, I, I'm a one-trick pony. All I know how to do is theology and ethics, you know? And she <laughs> said, she said to me, well, I know how to do that. And so let's talk. And so Aaron came onto the team of the Activist Theology Project and, and is building the channel of embodiment and, and somatics for activist theology. And so she is someone who I think could really answer that question around what is embodiment and and what is what what is the felt experience of theology in the world and and i and i'm not i'm not not answering this question because i don't have an answer but but i i think it's always important when someone has a platform to mention the people who actually mm -hmm. are doing the work and mm -hmm. so someone like aaron law is really doing that work um and is building all the embodiment practices for the activist theology project and so i would say um, and I wish that they were here so that they could speak for themselves. But it, it, if I have understood Aaron correctly, then we, we can't get away from our bodies, mm -hmm. but we have been socialized and the Cartesian split is something that is very real. You know, we walk around with our heads, but not our bodies. And so we're not just floating brains. 
we are fully embodied persons, but we actually don't know how to be in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And I would say that I'm one of those people that I haven't known how to be in my body. I've, I've been deeply entrenched in academia for over two decades. And just now in my early 40s, am I learning how to be in my body? And thankfully, I've got good friends and comrades who are shaping that experience for me. But tied to that, um, if, if we can't get away from our bodies, the same is true for theology. We cannot get away from theology. Everything, everything really is an embodied experience, whether, whether or not we recognize it or not. Likewise, everything is theological, whether mm. we want to say that say that it is or not do you have a title for your next book or not well i'd like to call it becoming embodied but you know the publisher tells you right. really what what you're gonna call it i mean i can make a case <laughs> for it um but it's something around like becoming embodied um you know relationality and democracy you know and really what i want to do is is look at this very question that you asked around how do we be in our bodies and change the world mm-hmm. how do we do that and mm-hmm. so I want to look at the ways that we've been treating bodies from trans bodies mm-hmm. to the bodies on the border. I want to mm-hmm. write uh, through, through the lens of story and theology um, and, then, and then actually beg the question, what is a democratic vision and can't bodies contribute to a democratic vision? Mm. So that's the, that's the next book. I'd, I'd like to bring the conversation back into silence. And, and I'm curious, you do mention silence a number of times in the book, but it seems that you typically talk about what we here on the podcast call toxic silence. Stories of haunting silence, deafening silence, silence is the beginning of a death cry, breaking the silence. And one of the things that we've discovered, the podcast is just entering its third year. And so it's been a, a wonderful conversation for us in, in learning how so many different people have radically different encounters with silence and experience of silence. And that we discovered how silence for many people can be embedded in privilege, it can be embedded in trauma, there's the experience of being silenced. So I, I'm, I'm curious just about your, the, I guess the shadow story of your journey with silence. And yeah. if, if you have experienced this kind of toxic silence or this kind of silence that is embedded in oppression. Yeah, I mean, I think that the silence that I do talk about in the book, for example, the silence around my dad's death um, and the silence that um, my dad had to many of my questions around morality those are all deeply um, harmful and I've internalized that harm and, and that's called oppression. And I've had to reclaim silence for myself and practices of the quiet night or, or silence as productive. And I have experienced people being silent that, that has been harmful for me. Mm. colleagues and friends and so forth um and and you know the reality is is that we live in a world where many of us are not encouraged to use our voices and so the the result of that is a harmful silence Mm. and so 
how do we actually unhinge from the toxicity of that that kind of silence? That's an ethical question. And that is something that we should all be asking ourselves because I know that I've been silent in times when I should have spoken, but due to fear or oppression or internalized whatever, I've not, I've not spoken. Uh, and so I've had to do a lot of work to find my voice and, and not the voice of the toxic white male that I've been socialized to be in, in academia, but the, the fierce, tender Latinx that is hospitable and generous. What, what is that voice? Mm. I've had to do a lot of work to, to find it. Mm. This concludes part one of a two-part episode. Stick with us next week when we hear part two. Encountering Silence. I'm Cassidy Hall. To learn more about me, please visit CassidyHall.com. I'm Kevin Johnson. To find out more about my work, visit my website, KevinMichaelJohnson.com. I'm Carl McCollman. My website is CarlMcCollman.com. Please visit the podcast website at EncounteringSilence.com. There, you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on the podcast. By making a purchase through our website, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from Amazon.com. Also, to learn more about how you can be a part of our circle of supporters, visit patreon.com slash encountering silence. This way you can share in our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all too noisy world.